This is the Scottish Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Kim McAllister. Hello. If your father and grandfather were so famous in an industry that one had been knighted and the other was a household name, would you start up in that same industry, rewriting all the rules? That's what Peter Vardy did. He was 26 and wanted to challenge all the motor trades conventions. Ten years later, his company, Peter Vardy Limited, turns over £224 million and employs over 800 staff. Thank you so much, okay. Peter, for giving us your time today. The first thing I have to say to you is congratulations, because you've just become a dad in the last six months. How's it going? Yeah, it's uh, a couple of sleepless nights, but generally uh, very exciting, so it's great. Good. And um, has it changed things for you? Has it changed the way you view things? Everyone seems to say that, don't they? But I don't know whether it's just, um, I grew up in a big family, and I think everyone normally talks about the responsibility thing changing. I suppose if you've I've always, you know, run a company for a long time. Now, you always get the sense, if you're running a family business, you do actually have a sense of responsibility for people like you employ. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's changed a wee bit, but maybe not as dramatic as I thought it was going to, apart from the lack of sleep. So, <laughs> but it's, it's great. It's great fun. It is tricky. The lack of sleep is definitely the hardest Mm -hmm. part. Your own father is obviously Sir Peter Vardy, a very big influence on the car industry. How much of an influence has he been on you? Very much so. You know, in my mind, he's the best at what what we do, what I do. He's the best uh, best at it. So I think his his knowledge has been great. I probably speak to him two or three times a day still now. So I think I was just speaking to somebody today that what he's managed to do in hindsight was leave me to get on with it whilst I'm sure looking on thinking he wouldn't do it that way, but leave me to get on with it and learn from my own mistakes. So I think as a mentor, he's been phenomenal, not just knowing my topic, but the way he's actually handled me trying to run my own business for the last 10 years and trying to support me has been uh, it's been incredible. So I couldn't have done what I have achieved for a number of different reasons without his help. He's um, he's certainly achieved a lot in his own right and certainly helping you. I mean, I understand a little bit about what it's like having a father in the industry in which you work. And mm-hmm. in my experience, it's been hugely valuable, but also sometimes quite difficult. Has it been difficult for you at any stage? Honestly, no, it hasn't. Uh, I think everyone's perceived, you know, they're saying, oh, it must be difficult to fill your dad's shoes. Well, I don't actually try and fill the shoes because I can't do that. My feet are too small. <laughs> um, the, I, I, I never had to. You know, I was working for him in the Reg Vardy days where all the jobs I was given were quite a challenge. So I was always thinking about how to actually do the job I'm in. And then we sold, sold the business in 2006 and had an opportunity to start on my own. So it's been that hard work. I've not really worried too much about what everybody else has thought, except I've used, you know, I'm just trying to make the best of whatever the situation was. So if the best thing was asking my dad advice, I've got no problem bringing up, asking for advice on how to do something. So I've never really had a complex about it. I've, you know, dad and I got on very well. So I've kind of enjoyed the relationship really and made the most of it. That's great. And you did start in the industry very young, didn't you? He he had you working when you were 14, filling petrol tanks, yeah, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, my granddad started the business originally, or the family business kind of goes back to my dad, my granddad's day. And we grew so our, his house that he built was uh, was the same site as we, as our first business. So it had petrol pumps on it, was one of the, one of the first things, and, and a haulage business, small haulage business. So uh, my family's had a tradition of growing up serving petrol. So that was my first job as well when I was 14, serving petrol. Uh, and then I went and sold cars when I was 15 and then parts department, the service department. And every holiday I, I worked in the business because I enjoyed it really, all the way up to finishing uni, out at Strathclyde and then um, going back into business again. So you've really been in every single department and learned from the mm-hmm. ground all the way up. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't very good at some of them. I wasn't very good at accounts and things like that. So but I did have a go at everything. I suppose which has helped now because now... I know what should happen in every department. I know how it should work. And I know when someone's having a, a pulling the fly one on me. <laughs> I've done all the jobs and I've been in the parts van. So I've got an appreciation of what everybody's going through, which I think has definitely helped. 
I wouldn't say that's a normal path for someone who owns a business to have worked in every single department like that, or or would you disagree? No, I think no, I, I don't know. I don't suppose it's everyone's career plan, but it definitely helped me. I think just having an appreciation of what time the parts person gets in, and you know what, you know, being the parts on your own, and and uh, you know, so understanding what that's like for parts folk to be, understanding what it's like to be a technician, and what makes them take and when bonus schemes can be right or wrong, and here and the lads talk about getting fed up with that or what apprentices actually do when they come into business. And so I, I think I've done, because I've done all the different jobs, I've got uh, an empathy with people when they're in the job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you look at bonus schemes, it's normally quite contentious about how you, how you pay people, how we train, um, or the hours that we work. I've got an appreciation of what it feels like being in that position. So I think it gives me a bit of an inside track on running the motor group mm-hmm. when I've done all the roles. And yet, you decided to do everything completely differently when you set up Peter Varmody Limited. And I guess that is another mark of an entrepreneur is looking at an industry and going, yeah, but there's still a better way to do things. So what inspired you from that point of view? Well, it's funny because I remember in my work in the Reggie days with my dad, we had a project once where we went and asked all the colleagues, if it was your business, would you run it like this? And hardly anybody said yes. Most people said no. Really? And so actually, we actually speak to people who are in each of the roles and said, look, it's your money would you spend it on this? And they go, no, I wouldn't at all. And actually, I wouldn't do this either. And I wouldn't do that. In fact, I'd do it the other way. And so having an understanding that's actually what it was like in the motor trade, it has been, because the motor trade hasn't changed for years. And also having, I suppose, I was a very young when I got the opportunity of running the company. I was 26 when I started. I had a bit of a different, younger person's approach on the motor trade. And I, I thought, well, I'm going to start a business. I may as well build it the way I'd like to build it with the knowledge I've got. So went about looking at some of the processes and the job roles and what other industries did or what the best guys in the motor trade did and then tried to kind of rewrite behind the scenes a lot of this is sometimes rewrite how the business works and you know our latest car supermarket we built in Glasgow the front end of that is completely different so the, the consumer or customer or guest as we call them will get a different experience when they come in well that's all it's actually all planned and all process driven and everyone's job roles revolve around being different so their opening hours are different you know we have teams in first in the morning teams in last thing at night to uh, prep the car, sort the car, sort the display. So if you drive past the M8 on the 7 o'clock in the morning, we already look open when everybody else looks closed. Mm. So simple things like that. But we've rewritten a lot of the rules to make it better to work in, to make it better for the guests from the visit, and clearly to make it more profitable wherever possible. And I think that I've quite enjoyed that challenge. I've enjoyed re-engineering what we do because it doesn't need to be the same as it's always been. And you know, the web and the, the way our business has changed in terms of um, people buying a car we're in a great position because we, we quite like adapting or changing the business quarterly, really, or monthly, uh, whereas other people would be terrified of it. We quite actually like change. And being reactive to the way people buy things because I guess online is such a big part of what you do and such a big way about how people buy things now. In terms of what we can track, 50% of the people who buy a car from us now will have been inquired on our internet first and then be put through the branch. So if we sell 25,000 cars, uh, it tells you... That's a significant number of people. And the scary thing is the amount of dealerships we've built and how much we're spending on dealerships. And then, you know, 50% of those people are, you know, calling into a call center effectively first to our mm-hmm. product experts before we get put back to a branch. Mm-hmm. So it does show that the, the shape of motor retailing is radically changing. And then how you invest and what your returns look like could be very different in the next five to 10 years. So being a small enough company where we're quite nimble to change what we're doing uh, is a real advantage. Is it fair to say that one of your biggest expansion plans was into Aberdeen when you bought the five dealerships up in the northeast? Had you you'd always mm-hmm. been the sort of central belt company with Glasgow and Edinburgh and Kirkcaldy and Perth. 
that must have been quite a scary decision, as exciting as I'm sure it was. I mean, what was the process there when you got that opportunity? Well, we're trying to make sure that we have dealerships um, in each of the population areas in Scotland, because I quite like to keep company in Scotland if I can, because I like to drive around all the dealerships regularly, so if the, if the, if the miles are, I'm going to struggle. <laughs> so um, Aberdeen was a, a natural place to want to go. We've got the opportunity some franchises up there, which are fantastic. I don't know, Aberdeen's had a bit of a difficult time at the minute, but it'll come out of that, like everything does. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a great area. You know, we've got a lot of affinity with that from my dad's time. Dad was up there 25 years. So you've got some history in the town, and we had a great opportunity. So it was kind of, it was quite an obvious thing to do at the time. Obviously, we're building some facilities up there as well. So it's the biggest land dealership in Britain. It's uh, one, of the, one of the biggest Porsche facilities in Britain now as well, because we anticipate that growing. And the Vauxhall business up there does more new car sales and anything else in Britain too. So they are big, big businesses in Aberdeen. And logistically, it must have been a challenge in terms of staffing, in terms of, you know, rolling out your processes. Was that a difficult time for you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, Aberdeen, when you had such a, a pull from the oil industry in terms of pay for the motor trade to compete with that was difficult. So when you're the new boys in town, it's quite difficult to assemble a team from starters, really, mm-hmm. uh, when there's some experienced, well, some, you know, experienced traders in the, in the town and also the oil industry is, is good doing very good pay, pay and reward and also very good flexible working options for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was quite tricky. And yet you've pulled it off and you've done very well with, with Porsche in particular and, and with Vauxhall. Which, yeah. Was it the biggest Vauxhall dealership in the whole of the UK? Yeah, I mean, the business are doing very well. We've obviously gone to the next stage. We're investing heavily in the facilities, so we expect the, the guest experience to go get even better. And, and it, we've got a bit of a, a thing within the business. We're trying to make sure our colleagues have the best facility to work in as well. Mm-hmm. So they're very proud of the place to come to work. Uh, and also it sets a, a quality standard that a guest visit business would, would see. So we're very particular about the investments we have on our properties and the quality of everything. So we're, you know, we're very excited about what we're building in Aberdeen and what that will mean as an experience for everybody that's, that visits the premises. No, it's, it, is, it is going very well. Improved an awful lot since we bought it. Yeah, we're, we're pleased with it. I know from, from day one you had a very strong set of values and very clear ideas about where you would invest with people kind of being your number one. Did that help the process of building a business that you had those core values? Well, it's, it's Marmite. You either like it or you don't. So that's <laughs> it's quite good to find out before somebody joins. So, you know, to know what people are getting themselves into, to know whether it's, whether it's for them or not is key. So um, the idea was to employ the right person in the first place and make sure it was right for them and for us. And then we have a set of standards around the company that's not, you can't act any way you want or say whatever you like to anybody and it'll be okay because there's the sets of rules. And I think we're all the same. We all like to know where we stand. We all like a set of rules. Uh, we could all then understand how we fit into an organization. We've tried to be as modern as we possibly can, but also have some old-fashioned values so that we treat with each other with respect and also treat a guest with, it, with respect. And that's pretty much what all our vision and values say. And it's quite hard work making sure you upkeep a culture and invest heavily in get, keeping a culture going, but it's ultimately a lot more rewarding for everybody concerned. And, you know, so a lot of colleagues have been with me a long time now. I've done very well out of um, starting a salesman or administrator's They've got some big, big jobs. Uh, the business, financially, the business is doing very well. And with our manufacturers, there, they um, are very happy with what we're doing. And I think a lot of it's, well, I know a lot of it's based on a very strong set of values and uh, the belief in those values. I mean, down to even the uniforms. You, know, you might see all of our guys wear the same uniform. Kind of a bit of a long story, but cut short. I, got, I managed to blag my way on to Jaguar Formula One team for a weekend. <laughs> and... Um, when I got my, I got a letter saying like, no problem, Pete, you can come on a trip. You're helping out with the marketing department, and basically, you just got to. Um, yeah, I was just told to do whatever they needed done. Really. Basically, I did all the, the lowest, the low jobs for the weekend. But 
I was over the moon of being invited. So they sent me through my green outfit with my Jaguar outfit to wear. And so I went and I got my badge and I could walk in and out of the pit lane. So I thought I was the man. <laughs> and um, I remember asking, look, uh, whereabouts can I eat? Because I see all the team are eating in between the trucks, you know, the, between the trucks that they uh, unload. And it's kind of, they build into a kind of restaurant thing behind the behind the pit lane. Mm-hmm. So all the team were going over there. Wait, can I just go and get lunch somewhere? And I'll come back this afternoon and say, no, no, we all eat together. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So I went and got my plate and sat down. So I sat on my own. Pedro de la Rosso was driving for, for, for Jaguar at the time. And uh, Murray Walker was, was working for Jaguar at the time. And then the team principal were all talking. And they all came and sat next to me. Uh-huh. And funny enough, we were all wearing the same clothes. We all felt, they all spoke to me. Didn't even know who I was. And I, I suddenly, and I came back and thought, well, that was incredible. So I was really the least important person in the team. But I was made to feel the same as everybody else. So when I started the company here, I thought, what a great example of leadership and of, of the new way of managing people where all the hierarchies have gone and all the company politics should go and actually treating people with respect. So we said, well, we'll all just wear the same thing. So just because you're the manager and you're the balloter doesn't make one more important than the other, mm-hmm. not in front of a, of a guest and not, certainly not in front of me. So we try to create a team culture from the beginning. And so that's when you, when you start with us, you've got three-day induction. So your first day is about a culture, second day is about a guest experience, and third day, you have to go on one of the, you have to help one of the charities that we support. And if you don't like either three days, you can leave. You can't, you can't join a company unless you go through three days. If you don't like them, I'm sorry, it's the wrong place for you to work. So in a few scenarios, I've actually paid people salaries for the month that they haven't worked, they go and find another job because I'd rather they didn't join. You know, when you have a culture, it doesn't always go according to plan because you can't see everything all the time. But you do have to have a, a passion to make sure it keeps going whenever you can see it. And through, through your management team, that's why all our guys go on leadership development to try and ensure that actually whatever we're doing is within the values and the work styles that we actually stand for. And I'm sorry, if you step out of line on those, we are quite ruthless. Anything else you make a mistake with, we're pretty relaxed. You know, we'll help you out. But any mistakes around culture and values, you're out, basically. It sounds, it makes sense, though, when you talk about it, because recruitment is a costly process. So, of course, you want to hire the right person in the first place and then train them up. And I know that a lot of your staff have started maybe in, in, in lesser roles and really progressed up through the business. And, and that's obviously good business practice, apart from anything else, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and we're, we're trying to have a joy doing. It's part of fun for me, you know, is um, seeing people get on, you know, and I've been very fortunate to see a lot of people do really well. And actually, to answer, the people that you know well work for you, it's obviously the trust thing there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And they also understand our work ethic because I would say within our industry, there's a certain difference um, in terms of work ethic, which we expect here than maybe other motor groups expect. But then you get that when you have a startup company. And, you know, 10 years in, we're still not that far past the startup company, really, in terms of the double the company every three years. So, We've never really got out of this um, starting a company or building a company feel. So it, it demands a certain work ethic, which isn't for everybody, but it, it attracts a certain type of people who just want to do a job where they can actually achieve something significant and say, well, actually, I've worked there. Might, you know, they can tell all the stories about how they started as a salesman and became a manager or businesses they opened or businesses they started and incentiveships away from New York that went on and all different things that we do to try and create a family feel and an excitement about about come to work. You mentioned the charity as being part of your three-day induction and I know that charity is genuinely important to you. It's not something you pay lip service to. And is it is it 10% of your profits that you give to charity each year? Yeah. And what's... Well, it isn't, very much, isn't very much when you start and don't make anything, but after that, it's going be quite significant. <laughs> no, why yeah, why was that important to you? Well, I'm a Christian first and foremost, so that's part of my um, perspective on, on faith. That's part of the not part of the rules, but you know what I mean? It's, it's part of what I believe in. So... That was always going to be the case. And for, I suppose for that very reason, because I thought it was genuinely the right thing to do, we don't really publicize it very much. So there's things that go on 
all over Scotland and abroad, which we can't keep to ourselves. I think there's been a, of even more value than I imagined because when you do things for the right reasons and do things for other people, the colleagues in the business can see that and think, actually, hang about this, this company's a little bit different. You know, they're not doing it to sell more cars or it's not just all about how much money they can make. But actually, it's a business that's trying to do something that's different. And we have a phrase in the in the foundation that every life is worthy. So, you know, so you need to try and treat people with respect. And whatever we can do when we're given an opportunity to do it, we do it. So you have um, a few different things. I'll tell you a few of them, but I won't tell you very much. The When a colleague starts in the business, just to under, make them understand what we do, it's only a token gesture. We will give each colleague £100 and say, well, there's a check, check. Just write how you want it to give it to and we'll send it off today. And I think when that's your, your I think it's within the second day or third day in the company, putting that money where our mouth is for a colleague who's just joined. So if that's really important to you, it's a charitable cause. It might be because your mother or father have suffered from some illness or brother or sister or you yourself. That starts to go off and then say, right, we'll have to go and help one of the charities on, on for a full day. And then that kind of that kind of mentality keeps going through the company. Mm-hmm. And so you've had some people do some quite incredible things. And actually, when you give, it's very enjoyable. And so you, you get a, more of a sense of belonging in the company when people are enjoying themselves. And if they're enjoying themselves by giving to others, it's even more enjoyable. So it kind of keeps going to the fact that I actually don't know what people do anymore in terms of giving back because they do that much. Mm. So it's been interesting, you know, I suppose you could write a paper on about, you know, how to engage colleagues more. You probably give back. I didn't realize that's why we did it. And we still don't do it for that reason, but it's an interesting effect of trying to put other people first. So in terms of the the drive behind what I'm trying to do in, in business, it's nothing to do with making money. I'm trying to create the best place to work, the best place to buy. And then with the, with the money that we make, we're very keen to give it away to people who are less fortunate or just need some support. And if you can be good at business, we can help more people out. So that's really been the mentality for the, the first 10 years and got even more plans for, for the future. Excellent. And yet you don't talk about it. So you're not doing it for PR or for marketing. You're, you're doing it because you, you genuinely want to make a difference. Yeah, you wouldn't you would believe I've told you some of the stories. of something, something just incredible things have happened, but they're even more incredible because nobody knows except folks in the company. Well, I will let you keep that as within the company because um, <laughs> as much as I would love to ask you lots of questions about it, your staff is now 800 or so and yep. your turnover for the last year was 224 million. I mean, these are some big numbers and quite a lot of pressure <laughs> on, on a guy who's still in his 30s. How do you cope with that? I've got used to it, I suppose, from when I started off. I, I still I love what I do. I get a lot of enjoyment out of um, being a salesman. And then uh, working with a great team of people. I think the big thing is uh, I've learned to keep playing to my strengths. So I need, I need to employ folks that are good at what I'm not good at to let me concentrate on what I'm good at. And if I can stay in my zone and they can stay in their zone and work together, it's actually less pressure. It's when you're doing things that you're not good at over and over again and expecting a good result out of it and you don't get it, adds significant pressure then. So I think by having a, a team of people with diverse skills and, and focusing on letting people be good at what they're good at most of the time. It's kept the thing buoyant and durable. Don't get me wrong, there's been plenty of moments where it's not gone quite according to plan, but I've been comfortable my, I've comfortable who I am at work, so I've you know, set the company up around people just being themselves and then try to play the strengths, have a very good leadership team. And I, I kind of believe in what I'm doing. I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing at the moment. And yeah, just get on with it. Work hard and get on with it. How many hours a day do you work? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you, you'll 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 know if you when you run your own company, you uh, there's not an off switch, is there really? Let's be honest. Not really. And um, hasn't been for, hasn't been for ten years. So, 
you just get used to it. That's the way, that's the way it is. That's what you sign up for. Um, but, but you did go on holiday over Christmas. You did take some time off, right? I did indeed. I with, did. With your daughter I've, I've and your at, wife. And... The, the best time I can take off is in between Christmas and New Year. And so we've now got, in the last two years, I've gone to partner taking that time off and they get, we get a bit of a break in the summer. I suppose, I suppose it's the same thing, but you've got responsibility to run the company. And actually, if it's more of a, I really enjoy it. So it's not as if I'm counting the hours, I count the days and working out what I'm doing all day. I've never been in that position in my life. So uh, I've enjoyed what I've done. It's been great fun building a company. I work with some great people. When I do go away, we go somewhere nice. So I haven't really got anything to complain about. You've got great support in the form of your wife, Anna. What role does she play, mm-hmm. apart from obviously being your wife, but in terms of supporting you as a business person is what I'm asking. Well, Anna met me when I just started the company. And that was chaos, actually, when the first dealership. <laughs> so she's been through the whole thing with me. And, and, and I, I'm very fortunate that she's very understanding and um, very wise in terms of, well, just general advice and support. We know, I mean, she's been brilliant, actually. And then obviously having a family, she's been uh, incredible that, too. So I'm very fortunate. She's very switched on. I don't know how you would... It'd be very difficult to do what I did if, if, I had, if Anna was any different from what she was in terms of support. So that would, would you be say pressure. That would add pressure. She's been key to your success in a lot of ways, I guess. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I, I think if we'd had a different type of relationship, I think it'd be very difficult to do uh, what I've done in work. I probably wouldn't be able to do well, Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do it. So, yeah, I think you, you're part of like anything, isn't it? It's like you're part of it at home or, or through business. It's important that you surround yourself with the right people. And I've been very fortunate that way. And do you have any other support in the forms of a mentor, maybe? I know your dad's a big influence, but do you have any other mentors? Uh, well, I've been to see a lot of people in the past for various different bits of advice and at different times when the company was different shapes or was facing different challenges. Bob Keeler's been very helpful. Brian Suter I've been to see. Uh, Norman John, my old headmaster. A guy called Steve Wright. He used to run, yeah, when we went and helped run kids' clubs in Ireland, he was running them and he's the church guy. So depending on what the topic is, if like anything, you're going to speak to the expert, don't you? And mm-hmm. um I've been very fortunate to have chance, uh, time with all those guys when I needed the support or I needed the advice and they were um, very gracious with me and, and giving me the time. So they were, they were great. And what about going the other way? Do you do people approach you for advice and, and ask you for mentorship? It's weird the other way around, isn't it? Somebody starts asking advice, I think I actually don't know what I'm talking about. You know, why are you asking me? Um, no, I've just, done, I've just done it now. I've just finished uh, speaking to somebody today, trying to, just you know, offering mental support. Yeah, you need to, I think, don't you? I think... Um, if you can help other folks get on a bit and you've been in that situation before, it might not be that the same situation, but you can tell the story of of what you did in that similar situation and, and try and share, you know, share those stories to see if they're, they're valuable to people. Um, yeah, it's, it's, more, it's actually quite intimidating doing mentoring somebody else. You think, I hope I say the right thing. Um, <laughs> so, but no, yes, I, have. I, do, I do a bit of it, probably not as much as I should, but I feel slightly better because I just finished before this phone call helping somebody out. So, uh, no, it's good fun. That is good. And the future, you've obviously got another car store planned for Dundee. Mm-hmm. How's that looking? Mm-hmm. Uh, quite exciting. I'm trying to think of as many things about Dundee as I can to put in it. So it feels <laughs> very Dundonian. So we've got a few exciting things going into that. We're trying to get another one as well. And uh, we've got an online business starting um, later on this year as well. So What's the online uh, business? There's, there's, yeah, there's plenty of things going on at the moment. So And all really exciting. All stuff that I, I kind of actually wrote about 10 years ago in terms of things I wanted to do the strategy I want to put together and we're nearly at the end of the road in terms of what I put together back then in terms of things I want to open or achieve and we've done we've done pretty well you certainly have do you ever have a moment where you look around and go wow this this is what we've achieved this is what we've done or are you always too busy on the next thing 
haven't actually stopped very much and thought, no, because there's always been something else to get on with. No, because we've never really stopped, actually, so you never really had a chance to stop yourself because we've always been building something or growing the company or starting something new. So, no, there's plenty of time for that later on. I think we've just we've had good fun doing what we're doing. It's been really difficult because, obviously, motor trade in Scotland's good. It's not, it's not a bad trade. You know, there's some very good operators up here. So to try and compete with them and start from scratch, it's not been easy. But, no, it's been good. So, no, I'll reflect on it at some time in the future. <laughs> sometime when you're on holiday on the beach and you don't have a phone Possibly, next to you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you still want to achieve uh, loads anything loads. in particular no. that's maybe not what people would expect anything out with the, the motor trade no not the minute I think I've got I've got some things I'd like to do within the, within the motor trade which I'm very uh, fixed on trying to achieve so yeah some very clear goals really up to 2020 we've got some particular things we want to do so my I'm spending all my time making sure those actually do happen rather than just be rather than just talking about them so we'll see at the end of 2020 there'll be a plan after that okay so um, we'll come back got, to got, you got, in four years and yeah, see yeah bring us in four years time yeah. <laughs> well listen it's been really great chatting to you and very best of luck with Dundee and everything else that's happening this year and beyond and uh, I'll right. hopefully see you soon hard graft and humility sound like a pretty good recipe for success for more inspiring stories of business startups, growth and achievement, go to scottishentrepreneur.com.